And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to start and scale a business. HubSpot Podcast Network hosts act as on-demand mentors to entrepreneurs, startups, and scale-ups through practical tips and inspirational stories. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is David Wax. David is the founder and CEO of Handwritten. It is a tool for direct mailing. You can use it for networking, you can use it for marketing, you can use it for sales, whatever it may be. I'm gonna let David explain the nuances of what Handwritten does. David is a serial entrepreneur. His first company, Sell It, he sold that off. He never had to work again. Sell It was on the Inc. fastest growing companies list. Now David's actually a contributor on Inc. as well. He has his own column. He jumped back into entrepreneurship. We're gonna unpack the entrepreneurial lessons as well as his origin story and some of the things that he's learned starting multiple companies. We also go into some lessons that he's learned at Handwritten. So why in an oversaturated market, sometimes going analog is the solution. We spoke about some myths about entrepreneurship. We spoke about some emerging trends in outbound. Uh, We also spoke about how you have to have certain mindsets as an entrepreneur and things that you can do to gear yourself, get yourself ready to build your own thing so that you don't fall into common traps that many entrepreneurs fall into. David is an incredibly talented individual and I'm really happy I got to sit down with him and unpack some of his entrepreneurial as well as sale and technical insights. He's a very process-driven and technology and software-driven individual. He likes to build things that basically take the workload off of his shoulders, something I'm a big fan of as well. So we, we speak through some of his tech stack and hopefully it'll give you some ideas for your own company. Let's jump right into it. This is David Wax, CEO founder of Handwritten. Thanks, Scott. Um, it's really it's really cool how our paths kind of crossed and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, so um, I'll get into handwritten in a yeah. second, but, but uh, I think there is a story to be told about the whole entrepreneurship thing. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then after school, I went to school for engineering and business. So um, I always kind of thought, well, I'll be an entrepreneur in, in tech. I specifically chose computer science because it doesn't take much to start a computer company versus you know a software company versus a hardware company. Now I'm in hardware, which I'll get into, but the whole idea was, let me start a software company coming out of school. And then I came out of school, had a crap ton of debt, uh, went to work for a consulting firm, did that for a few years, worked for an investment bank for a few years. Then I worked, I moved out to San Diego and uh, worked in venture capital for uh, the flat, you know, a blink of an eye. It was a really short period. I actually turned down the job the first time I got it because the the, the partner there seemed kind of Looney Tunes. Turned out he was. And four months after signing, after going there the following year. So that I, I said, no, I'm not interested. Um, they followed up with me a year later and said, are you still not interested? I'm like, well, okay, I'll come out. I took the job. Four months later, I was fired without cause. Um, I had moved across the country from Chicago to San Diego, spent all my money on, you know, uh, up up until that point, paying down school debt, which I don't recommend. Always keep a nest egg. Um, you know, in Canada, I think it's a little better. In the States, you end up with just a ton a of bit. debt. Yeah. So um, 
so anyway, so I had no no safety net. I had um, I had relatively low debt at this point, but no safety net and nowhere to go in San Diego. So I actually moved home to Phoenix and uh, started my first company, which was Sell It. And with Sell It, this was back in 2004. The um, whole purpose of Sell It was to provide information on real estate. Um, so you would drive by a house, you'd text in, you'd get info on the house, and then the realtor would capture a lead. We were kind of the first ones doing that. Um, there was a product called House for Sell. Uh, soon after starting House for Sell, I realized I wanted Sell It to be much bigger. And then we started a service called Coupon Zap, which was really for restaurants and bars to send out drink notifications. You know, hey, come in for half price drinks or happy hour, whatever that is. Um, Coupon Zap started attracting Abercrombie & Fitch and Toys R Us and Sam's Club and really, really large brands, not interested in sending out drink coupons, but, you know, come in for a sale, whatever, whatever that is. Um, and then House for Sale, that market kind of commoditized quickly. There were a bunch of little players doing real estate, um, but where we took it was we started doing text for information for Marie Claire Magazine, where you would see an ad in Marie Claire Magazine, want information, text in, or in Fast Company, you'd want information, you text and you get info back. So we kind of turned it away from real estate, which I found to be just a bear of a business. If you want, we could talk about that. And we turned it into something that was much bigger. Um, by the end of Sell It, we were doing over a million messages a day for these big brands. And then we got acquired by Hello World, which was a, well, it used to be called ePrize, based in Detroit. And then it, that um, changed its name to Hello World. And then it got acquired by Merkel, which is a big marketing automation company um, on the East Coast. When I left Hello World Merkel, I thought, you know, geez, this was back in 2014. I thought, you know, text messaging has kind of run its course. I kind of always felt that way, even when I started the company. I kind of started sell it out of desperation, but I wanted to do something. So um, I thought, you know, texting has kind of run its course. People are now inundated with thousands of text messages a day. Emails, people are getting 140 emails a day. They're spending, like the average office worker spends about a quarter of their time just managing their inbox, right? Like they're just overloaded with, with emails. Nobody has any time to read them anymore. And it's all just kind of becoming noise. Back in 2014, this is kind of before Slack and Teams and, um, you know, all that. So it's only gotten worse since then. And I, when I left, I wanted to send my employees and my customers thank yous for sticking with me, helping us grow this business, that type of thing. I didn't want to send them an email. I wanted to send them a handwritten note because when I walked into my salespeople's offices, they had handwritten notes on their, you know, on their desks, that type of thing. So I sat down with pen and paper. I started writing these handwritten notes. And of course, my hand cramped, my writing sucked. I didn't have enough stamps, didn't have enough stationery, you know, on and on and on. So I thought, gee, there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to scale handwritten note outreach so that's a, it's as easy as sending an email. It'll get noticed. It's easy for me to do. And even better if we could automate it and platformize the whole thing. That's that's where we wanted to go with it. So pretty very, very shortly after starting, after leaving Sell, uh, Sell It, I started Handwritten pretty much the next day. And now what Handwritten is, is it's a software platform where you can use Handwritten.com, our iPhone app, our Android app, our integration into salesforce.com, HubSpot, soon to be Shopify. So we have all these ways to get data in, including Zapier and Integromat, which are really big ones. Um, those are all ways to get the orders in. And then what we actually do is we have custom robots here in Phoenix um, that actually write the notes out in pen. So, and I could <laughs> grab my laptop and show you around the office, but we have 115 robots currently each robot is custom built. I wrote the software that actually does the writing, um, but they all can, and you can see pictures of these on handwritten.com or go to YouTube and see them there. But um, each robot holds a real pen and writes out the handwriting in the most realistic handwriting available on the market today. There's just nobody that comes close. Um, and now we have 115 of them. So we're doing about five to 10,000 notes a day on average um, for everything from realtors, again, we can't seem to escape realtors, all the way up to 
luxury brands, car manufacturers, car dealerships, um, you know, any large sales organization. Like we do a lot with solar panel installers. Our, our biggest client is actually a solar panel install company that sends 15,000 notes a month to their um, customers. So, um, so yeah, when you kind of came across us, it's interesting because we play in the same realm as like companies like Bonjuro that do video email and stuff like that. Yeah. It's this whole notion that email is just junk at this point. And, you know, sending somebody a text doesn't really say I, I care about you. But when you receive a, a handwritten note in the mail, it's really like, it's so unique now that what's old is new again, right? You know, mm -hmm. by everybody's pivoted digital, so we pivoted analog, and that really stands out. So when you're going through your mail and it's just bill, 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 and then the last thing you see is this nice handwritten note, you save that, you open that last, and not only do you read it, which is pretty much a 99 to 100% read rate, because everybody wants to know who took the time and effort to write me this note, often you keep it. Um, we actually have a company, I love this example. They're a piano tuner in Pennsylvania. And they've set us up through Zapier where after they tune your piano, it automatically sends you a thank you note saying, hey, you know, thanks so much for allowing us the opportunity to tune your piano. You only need to get your piano tuned once a year. You know, that's it. You don't need it every three months or anything. So when he's in your home a year later, that handwritten note is often still standing up on the piano. You know, hmm. it's it's a folded note, so it's standing there right on the piano. A year later, is that going to happen if with an email, you know, if somebody sends you an email, are you going to print Never. it out? Never. A text message, are you going to take a screenshot of it, print it out and stick? Never. Handwritten notes are totally unique in the in the durability of them. They just stick around. So we'll send out samples kits to people and we won't hear from them for six months. And then they'll contact us and they'll say, you know, I've had your kit sitting on my desk for the last six months looking at it. And I've finally determined it's the right time to do it. So there's this just, uh, you know, they have this lifetime of their own and people really treasure them. Um, with our service, you can obviously send gift cards and business cards and all that too, if you want to kind of make it a, a whole gift. But we think the handwritten note is the real gift because what a handwritten note, and, and pardon me for doing all the talking here, but a handwritten note really um, in this day and age is the gift of time because people think it takes you a long time to write it and nobody has any time anymore, right? Like everybody's responding to 12 emails at once and their Slack's going off or their Teams is going off their email and nobody can sit down to focus and concentrate to write a handwritten note. So when you receive one, you realize time went into it and that's the gift that you're receiving. No, well, I'm, I'm going to be quite honest. You, you knocked off a whole bunch of points that I wanted to go into <laughs> anyways. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, I want to, I want to also just highlight if people do check this out and at the end of every show, we do talk about like links and whatnot, but it's handwritten with a Y, not yep. an I. So that's, so if you're trying to just Google handwritten, you're probably not going to find their company the traditional way it's spelled. So make sure that you hit it with an eye. But so my question is, um, you've discovered, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Everything's working out now. But when you first started this business, yes, you're writing those by hand. It's a nice thing to do. But almost everybody would say who hasn't needed that level of authenticity, real estate agents, I get it from mm -hmm. them all the time. But I work in B2B. That's how I discovered to use for, for your tool. That's actually how we connected. Um, and I found it to be one of the only ways that you can connect at scale the same way a whole enterprise account-based marketing team would try and connect with, you know, a Fortune 100 decision maker where you're sending them things. You're sending them things that are not an email, not mm -hmm. part of a marketing campaign. You're not retargeting them so they see your ads. You're sending them something tangible, something physical. And in my experience, I've never found a way to do that at scale. That's why you only ever did it for customers that were your largest, most prolific customers that could mm -hmm. have, you know, want your whales, so to speak. So now you can have that authentic um, touch with multiple customers, including, you know, all of your customers, really, if you'd like to, which differentiates uh, in a big way in the B2B, in the business to business sales and marketing space. But, you know, how did you, how did you know that um, going analog would be a solution 
to uh, this over this oversaturation of digital email text messages on LinkedIn. Um, how how were you aware of this, and how did you feel comfortable jumping into this? Because you from my knowledge, didn't actually have experience in any of the verticals that are actually using your product at, at, at any sort of scale, right? So I'm curious right. what your mindset was like when you did this. It was truly just something that I wanted to use at the moment. You know, I hmm. just knew handwritten notes. You know, I sat down, I ordered custom stationery off I, I, you know, some digital print shop online. It came, I loved it. It was really high quality. I wanted to send all my clients and, and employees handwritten notes. And I just realized I couldn't, I didn't have the attention span, you know, and I wanted, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this and include business cards or include gift cards. And I just thought, you know, nobody else is doing it. So what happened was, of course, somebody else started doing it. Um, there was a company for a brief time called Bond. And what happened was I came out with this idea and then my girlfriend at the time, like two weeks later says, look what just happened. A company popped up doing exactly what you wanted because it's funny, like in the zeitgeist or whatever, in the ether, people have ideas at the same time. I was still yeah. kind of locked into um, E-Prize or hand, uh, Hello World when, when I started forming the idea and I couldn't really pounce on it. This other company did, they got venture funding and all that. And what happened to them, they basically spent all their money on marketing and none of their money on technology. And they ended up with a 3D printer with a pen. And the way a 3D printer works is it moves X, Y, and Z, you know, mm -hmm. move up, down, left, right. And so you can get it to write. Um, we could talk about inertial mass. It, it moves fast with this heavy gantry, so it creates very jittery writing. And they got around that with a felt tip pen so that you could kind of cover up all the jitters. But they got this thing to write, but what they did not get it to do was paper feed. So we spent years and years, we came out, we started with the same off the shelf robot that they were using, which is crap. Um, then they moved to 3D printers and we moved to developing our own actual handwriting robot. So we were on a much slower path. They built a ton of these 3D printers holding pens. And when you do that, what you end up with is a room of people walking around changing every page. Um, there's a competitor of ours right now, and I go to their website and I'm like, how the heck are they gonna stay in business? Because they're doing the same thing. They have uh, a pen writing on a mm -hmm. clipboard, and then somebody's gonna have to come and move the paper off the clipboard and do the next one. It's just not scalable. So we spent years building our own robot. And it, it's not an easy thing to build a robot. It's, it turns out it's, it's even harder to get the darn thing to feed paper than, than it is to get it to write. Um, so to get something to feed paper reliably and shoot paper off the end of a conveyor reliably is, is actually quite difficult. So while they were blowing their, their money on marketing, we were spending our money on, on engineering. Um, eventually they got acquired and then they got shut down. So, um, I, it was, it was very strange to me, but now, so now we're the big dog in town, you know, still yeah. a very small industry, but we're the big dog in town doing this. Um, and we're the only ones that I know of that have this robot technology that's, that's proprietary that allows us to do it at a speed and at a cost and at a quality that's un, unbeat. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but basically I saw the need, I wanted something like this. It yeah. didn't exist. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I was what, um, in my late thirties, I thought I'm not ready to retire. I had sold my last company. Let's find potentially, arguably, my wife would now say a bad use of my funds, but, uh, I started handwritten with, with the money I'd made off the last company and kind of just, um, went in, you know, saw it as my next adventure. So, um, but as far as how do you identify something, you know, just think about what do you need? What unmet needs do you have? And that's, I think, a pretty good place to start. You know, I didn't want to start another email service or another CRM. There's enough of those. Um, I think it's, a, no, that you answered my question exactly. And that's what I was trying to draw out. Um, now, I think that uh, for many people that would be at least listening to this podcast, the use case is quite obvious for, um, again, that authentic 
interaction that can completely differentiate how you do your outreach is mostly because you know I'm coming from a, a sales perspective or a marketing perspective. Um, I'm going to ask you some some entrepreneurship questions. I think you have a lot there that I'd like to go into. Sure. The one, I guess, outbound question that I would like to ask you. You mentioned Bunjuro. We both know. You know, we both know yeah. Bunjuro. You're living in this in this uh, industry of of differentiating how you do outbound. What are some other um, best practices or potentially emerging trends in conducting outbound in a way that's meaningful and it works? It could be with writing. It could be with video. It could be something that else that you're looking into or you're trying to uh, maybe even build into your own company. I don't know. You're not gonna like the answer. For us, the answer is not outbound, it's inbound and inbound marketing. And I define, um, it's not my definition. I learned it from Joe Polish who learned it from somebody else, but marketing is just really selling in advance. And we don't know who our customers are gonna be. We didn't know our biggest customer was gonna be a solar panel installer. But what we know how to do is to create an inbound funnel um, to attract people and then send set them up in a drip campaign. So, uh, and that drip consists of email and it consists of handwritten notes and it consists of phone calls and it consists of Bonjuro and all these different ways to get in touch with people. Um, so what we do is we have a very strong content marketing strategy for SEO. We certainly do AdWords, we do Facebook marketing, but really what we try to do is we try to get people to our website and then for them to get free samples. Free samples is our lure. So always have something of value, um, you know, whether that's a white paper, don't just have a contact form. If you have a contact mm -hmm. form, you know, good luck. Somebody may or may not use that, but create something of value to create, you know, uh, to create a lead capture. It has to be, I, I don't think booking a demo is even, you know, that great of something. So our item of value is the sample kit because it's physical, it's in the mail, it has a bunch of, stuff in it people find that useful and they want to see it so we drive everybody to the sample form once you fill out the sample form then it's a whole zapier flow of the same handwritten notes go out all powered by zapier um, you're assigned in our pipe drive crm system we've created custom code that round robins and assigns those to individual sales reps it puts out a team's notification saying you know so we've created this whole flow to really track that lead from start to finish. Um, I think that for us has really been a game changer, just creating this inbound marketing lead machine really based mm -hmm. off samples requests. Um, where we could get better is probably like, um, like audiences, like uh, I think that's what it's called on Facebook. Yeah, like lead -like targeting audiences. or look-alike. Yeah, yeah. look-alike yeah. audiences. Yeah. That's an area we could get better. Um, we could probably get better at LinkedIn marketing, but that's too expensive for us. We could Very certainly expensive. get better by having, yeah, it's crazy expensive. Um, we could get better at having like webinars and stuff like that. That would be an area of growth, kind of like what Bonjuro's doing. Um, we kind of want to create like, uh, like handwritten con or communication yeah. con, something like that. Yeah, well, you're going to be that category creator for this. Yeah, for, right. For whatever this is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, handwritten note con, I don't know. But but really have kind of a community around it that's about handwritten notes and alternative ways to reach out like Bonjuro mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever else to kind of round out round out what you're doing. So what, what you're doing, um, and I appreciate that because I'm also – a huge proponent of, of inbound. And I think that what you're doing well is the tools that traditionally could be very effective at outbound, like I mentioned, like, you know, you could use this to to do outreach to somebody and really elicit, solicit a response, right? Elicit a response, excuse me. Um, you're just using those in your inbound funnel to have higher conversion rates on the leads that you're already bringing in. So you're sending out video as opposed to if somebody is spending time sending a video and cold outreach or sending out handwritten notes and cold outreach, you're sending them video when they're already so many steps into your funnel. You're sending them handwritten notes mm -hmm. or free samples when you're so many steps into it. So you're just basically optimizing your inbound, which is pure like, you know, marketing qualified leads that you don't have to, you're not worried about hitting that wrong customer profile. You're not worried about hitting people when they're, they're not at the right buying stage. There's no meaningful event in their company's life cycle, whatever. You're not worried about that. 
because that's all sort of accounted for when you're optimizing this inbound funnel that's driving all your business. And then you just layer on those things, all those additional components. Like you said, booking a demo is not meaningful, but perhaps sending them a video or, um, or sending them some free samples, that's meaningful enough to actually get them the inbound leads to care and to convert. And if you can kill that, then you have a, a very strong, repeatable uh, inbound lead generation system, right? Yeah, we, uh, we are in a unique position where we've had to hire more people to spread the leads out because yeah. what's been happening for years, honestly, and it's really shame on me, uh, I've been, we've been fully automating that process. So you go to our website, you fill out this thing, we send you the samples, then you get a whole bunch of Persist IQ, which is our email platform of choice, you know, reminding, did you get the samples? The samples are almost there. What did you think of the samples? You know, and we were closing, you know, a really small percentage of that because the sales reps are getting so many. Um, it was only spread over a couple sales reps at the time. They weren't following up on it. So now we just mm -hmm. hired another salesperson yesterday. We're spreading those, le those leads much, much thinner to make it um, more of a scarcity so that they really have to harp on, you know, and I apologize for anybody that asks for samples requests now if, they're, if they get too many <laughs> calls or whatever, but we want to make it a scarcity so that they're really paid attention to when we're trying mm -hmm. to raise our percentage close there. We actually I, do on our website, I, if you go to handwritten.com and that's handwritten with a Y uh, and you go to the resources tab, we have the outbound marketers playbook where we walk through everything we do to um, reach out to somebody with a handwritten note. I mean, it involves using Upwork and collecting their address, you know, having somebody in Indonesia scrape their address and then they send the address back and we put it into handwritten and then it'll send them a handwritten note and then we'll follow up via email. You know, so it's a long process. Um, so that is on handwritten.com slash resources if you want that. But for us, the big thing, because doing a lot of, you know, if your product is very, very, you know, is expensive, like you're a consultant or something like that, sending out 10,000 cold outreaches maybe isn't a big deal. But when our product costs $3.25, quantity one, it, it gets expensive to send handwritten notes to all these people if you don't know if they're going to use it or not. So, um, you know, I would say handwritten notes aren't always the best outreach, but they are, or the best outbound platform, but they're a very good outreach platform. So once mm -hmm. they are your client, to get them to repeat buy, um, to notify them of special sales, a win back opportunity is a huge one. We have a client, they're a snack box. So they, um, every month or twice a month, they'll send you a box for your office full of snacks. We actually use them here. And what they learned was if they screw up and they send you the wrong snack box or they forget to send you a snack box, they send you another snack box with extra snacks in it, and they include a handwritten note saying, you know, so sorry that we screwed this one up. Obviously, the extra snacks goes very far, but the handwritten note doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. and what they found was their, their uh, consumers that received a screw-up note and a screw-up box actually have a higher lifetime value than those that never screwed up in the first place. So then the next logical step is just screw up with everybody, send everybody, and that's what they're doing. So it's crazy, but but that's an extreme example of win back. Um, yeah. And that's that's what some of our clients do. No, very very good advice. Um, so you you know you're operating at a level that would be more in line with like a smaller SaaS or a smaller the like say monthly recurring service that has a a small a small price tag associated with that sale. So that's. I appreciate the insight. No, it's just something that some people can take into consideration. Uh, so it doesn't matter whichever market you're playing in or whichever market you're selling to. Um, if it is enterprise or a high ticket item, maybe you can do outbound. But if it's too expensive, then just like mm -hmm. you said, build it into part of your your inbound funnel. And it's still it's still it still is something that's going to differentiate your company so much more than just sending them that six email asking them if they want to book a demo yet or if they have if they want to come to a webinar or if they've or just a reminder here's the link for to download your white paper um it's again yep. just as impactful right um just using an, in an inbound funnel instead um okay so a couple uh very very helpful thank you um so questions about lessons building companies because a lot of a lot of individuals on this on this show um they are entrepreneurs they built companies 
um, have had failures, have had successes. Uh, so what are some, what are some lessons that you've learned building perhaps uh, handwritten or even, you know, sell it? Um, what, what are best practices for building companies that you perhaps didn't realize when you first uh, started? I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the CRM platform that is easy to implement and is even easier to get your team to adopt. And ask anybody that's implemented new technology in a company, the biggest issue is not finding it or buying it. It's getting your team and your company to actually use it and adopt it. And when it's a piece like a CRM, one of the most critical pieces of your business infrastructure and your tech stack, if people don't adopt it and use it, that means you're getting incomplete data, you're getting missing data, you're getting garbage data, it could impact quite literally everybody in your company, as well as it could negatively impact your customers and your revenue. So how does HubSpot solve for this with their CRM platform? There's two components that they focus on that allow for organizational-wide adoption. This is the contact timeline, as well as the mobile app. So the contact timeline gives a historical context for all of the data that is associated with a certain contact in the CRM. That means that anybody across the organization can see all the actions and all the interactions that have taken place against that particular contact. You can also use that timeline to make calls to these contacts, enroll them in sequences, put them into marketing or sales campaigns, schedule a meeting, open tickets. The historical timeline makes it easy to take action as well as to track the action that's been taken against all of your contacts. And it's not a pain to enter the information, which means that it doesn't take somebody a long time to put in great data, which can again positively impact your whole company. The second piece is the access from anywhere, meaning if I have a phone and I'm on the road, the world's opening up a little bit more now, people are traveling again, I can use the HubSpot app to access my CRM anywhere, on the go, on the fly, doesn't matter. So I have complete access to the CRM. I have access to my spreadsheets, my calendars, my notebooks, all of my contacts. I can send messages across my team with the HubSpot keyboard. I can access my contacts, call them through the HubSpot app. I can take quick notes. I can take contact information. I can all log it into my HubSpot app so that I can pull it up later on my desktop when I'm back at home. It's simple. It's intuitive. It's meant to make it easy, frictionless, so that your team sees the value in properly using the CRM to the fullest of its capabilities and gives them the tools and the tech to allow them to do it without spending too much time and causing them more headache. The best thing about HubSpot is that it can be set up for any size of business and it will scale with you. If you're just starting out, you can take advantage of certain features and then as you scale your business, you'll notice that HubSpot will support almost anything you need as you grow. So if you do want to learn how to scale your business without scaling complexity, go to HubSpot.com. Yeah. Um, so obviously don't be afraid to pivot. Um, that would be, which I, I, you know, is pretty obvious, but with, with sell it, pivoting out of real estate and into Abercrombie and Fitch and, uh, you know, that type of thing um, was a big, a big change for handwritten. What it was is we kind of switched our whole focus and it was always, I always wanted to be business focused, but when we started this, the tagline was quality cards, your words and pen and ink, because it was much more consumer focused with these bespoke letterpress cards and everything like that. Now it's quality cards, or sorry, your words and pen and ink. You know, we want to put the words in pen and ink front and center, and it's more business. You know, you can go on our website, create your own card with your logo on it. So it's nice, but it's not letterpress. So we've pivoted there slightly. Um, a long time ago, I had the opportunity to do dinner. I, this is always the humble brag. I did dinner with Conan O'Brien. And what he said was always get in over your head. And that is like the advice that I've taken with me for 20 years. You know, you can't you can't grow if you don't if you don't uh, ex, ex, try to overextend yourself and do things that you didn't think you're, was possible. Um, so that is that's been you know something I've thought about for the last 20 some odd years, and um, you know I think it's uni universally applicable. Um, other things, you know. Making sure, and I think it's gotten even worse today from a generation perspective, worse, better, you know, whatever, um, how you look at this, from a generational perspective, people are very sensitive now. 
I mean, I think a lot of this is COVID too, but being very cognizant of your team, the happiness of your team. You know, I used to be a grinder and I'd grind my team pretty hard. Now I kind of bite my tongue as <laughs> I as my team plans another game and another outing and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, it's a lot yeah. of that. But having a team that's having fun um, is so important um, just to keep the wheels moving because they, because they know come Thanksgiving and come Christmas, they're not going to be having fun. They're going to be in this office working their tails off, getting all the notes out the yeah. door that come with those that cyclical period. So, you know, it's again that work hard, play hard, but it's so important to stay so focused on that. We have tools that we we use to kind of do uh, customer satisfaction, employee sat surveys, um, and we're constantly taking a pulse on that. Um, you know, when I sold my last company, the owners did like a whole survey on me with my employees, and most people really liked it liked me rather. And um, I'm friends with a lot of them to this day. And they reach out to me on LinkedIn saying, you know, you changed my life, you helped me help focus me in a career path. But there were like one or two that had some very harsh words for me. And uh, that, you know, I've taken that to heart. And I've really tried to adjust myself. So I'm not seen in those ways, which is hard, you know, as the hard driving entrepreneur, you're always trying to, you know, move the move the ball forward and everything else but um it's one of the reasons i have a private office like i'm not the hr person i'm not a salesperson always on the phone i mean i am on podcasts and stuff so it makes it it, it does make sense for me to have an office but one either one of the reasons i have an office is because i know my energy impacts people and so i'm trying to protect them from that energy um so um you know so so that's one thing I've learned is that I need to be very, very cognizant of my face because everybody's face is public property, right? Like when you walk into a space, people see it and they get positive or negative energy based off that public property. So as the head of the company, you have to be especially cognizant of that. And so I always try to come in, do a lap around the office, you know, try to be super bubbly david wax even though inside i want to you know maybe i'm not so bubbly there's a million stressors yeah there's a million things yeah. that are on your mind yeah. yeah yeah so that's that's a real big one um getting real technical and you know feel free to tell me to shut up the for us what what it was crazy you know no technology i think anybody in sales needs to know technology whether that's duck soup bonjuro handwritten obviously of course why wouldn't you want to use that zapier which is critical. I think, you know, learning Zapier and what it can do, it has revolutionized our business. If I didn't work for Handwritten, I'd want to work for Zapier, just being an evangelist. Mm -hmm. I think Zapier is the coolest thing ever. Um, you know, being in any job these days, you have to have a tech inclination and understand the tools that can make you a more effective salesperson. Because coming in, knocking on somebody's door, calling somebody over and over again, you know, isn't gonna, that's not how people interact anymore. So you have to have a, you you have to know how your customer wants to interact. So learning about technology. And for us, what that meant was learning about additive and subtractive manufacturing, because now we're building these robots. Um, when we started, they were all made out of metal. And then I brought in people that taught me how to 3D print them. And then we went too far in 3D printing. And now we 3D print, we laser cut. And I mean, I could just talk to you about modern manufacturing techniques for all day long uh, and that that was out of my but you went into zone, it yeah. you figured it out you yeah, figured you it out, figure you, it out. you figured it out you, yeah 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 i uh yeah. i love surrounding myself with people with the figure it out gene as i call it yeah. you know um my director of operations if you uh you know at first glance they might not you might not go wow that person looks like they have the figure it out gene they, she probably has the figured out gene more than anybody else I've ever met, um, you know, and trying to find those people that have that figure out gene and put them to work on your team. It's like the greatest thing, you know, you don't need to. Nice. It's great to have smart people on your team, but a lot of smart people will give up if they don't figure it out right away. But if you have somebody that just will not quit, <laughs> those are the best people to have on your team. And, and I'm super lucky to, to have those people on the team. No, good, very, very good lessons. And uh, 
I think that that the figure it out people, um, I've heard it called different things, but whatever that person is, I think that's probably the the most important asset to a startup to truly be successful. Um, Okay. A couple more, just, I guess one more startup question and then a couple rapid fire questions. Um, Mindset of an entrepreneur. Um, You've done this for a while now. If somebody wants to start their own thing, what type of mindset should they should they have or what they have to set themselves up for or try a new skills they have to potentially build into their persona yeah so i'd recommend everybody read the book if you haven't already um and i know there's a lot of business books out there this one is very thin easy to read called the e-myth by michael gerber uh have you read that one i haven't actually that's that's one to add because i haven't read that one. yeah it's it's an easy book and i what I like is it's very practical, but um, the E-myth, E stands for entrepreneur, not like email or not electronic, but the, uh, the E-myth talks about how you have to, when, you're, when, when you become an entrepreneur, you have to, an entrepreneur gets into the business because they like, often they get into the business because they like doing the thing. But as the entrepreneur, your job is not to do the thing. Your job is to build the company that does the thing. So you want to work on the business, not in the business. So, you know, day one of starting your company, you're going to be working every day in the business. You know, if you're starting a pie company, which is the example in the book, every day you're going to be baking pies. Probably the worst thing you can do in that business is bake pies. You know, I'm guilty of it too. I still program the robots sometimes. You know, I've hired everybody else, but programming the robots is my baby. Um, and I should not be doing that. The guy, the CEO should not be debugging robot issues. So it's really about how do you separate yourself from the day-to-day? How do you define your business as a franchise, even if you don't plan on franchising it? So what I mean by that is creating creating a doc, a book of roles. And we're currently doing this at Handwritten. Just, you know, who? what is the job description for robot operator? What is the job description for head of operations? What is the, you know, and having everything clearly defined there. And then also having everybody in place to do those jobs. So you as the entrepreneur are running around doing podcasts, um, doing the big thinking that you can't do if you're debugging robot issues or handling like I was until like four months ago, doing the bookkeeping, you know, you, you can't do it. So um, I need to swallow my own advice. And I just recently, after seven years of doing here, yeah, it's super tough. And, you know, your budget constrained and, you know, budget constrained is the big one. You know, well, I have $2 to spend. Do I want to spend it on hiring a bookkeeper or do I want to spend it on another Google ad that'll get me another client, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but you have to make those investments and create the team so you can scale much faster. And that's what we're we're really working on now is working on the business and not in. And my goal is to do nothing. You know, when when somebody asks me, what are you doing? You know, all these people are, my goal is to do nothing because when you do nothing, that gives you time to think about stuff and actually do the heavy thinking as opposed to the grunt work of sales, finance, you know, robot debugging, et cetera. And that's, that's, as an entrepreneur that doing nothing and that pursuing a vision is the most important thing because an entrepreneur that is in the weeds in the day to day, you can't have a vision. You'll never get, you'll never, you may have it, but you'll never, you'll never get any, any closer to it. Right. So exactly. Okay. Let's see. Let's do a couple rapid fire ones. This is really good. I appreciate this. Okay. So, um, uh, a myth about entrepreneurship that you want to debunk. It's not an overnight success. You know, I think a lot of people are, uh, you know, they see Silicon Valley and they think, oh, you know, everything's popping up overnight and everybody's a billion dollar company overnight. You know, those are the exceptions rather than the rule. Most businesses don't ever get venture financing, you know, let alone that overnight success uh, factor. So, you know, minimum of two years of grinding it out, more like three, four years probably. Sell it, my last company, did a two-year ramp, which was good because I was broke um, and I couldn't afford to keep it going much longer than that. Um, handwritten took four years. Um, luckily, I could afford to stick with it, but you really have to stick with something. 
and and things typically aren't overnight successes. It takes a lot of grit, and uh, you have to have a real motor to get through it all. Good. Um, one lesson that you would tell your younger self. Same thing. Stick with it, um, especially with, with it. selling. Okay. Uh, yeah, just stick with it because I'd you know I'd be complaining to everybody: Is this worth it? Is this going to happen? Blah blah blah. And just really stick with it. The other thing is start as soon as possible. Because if I were to start this journey today, or journey, a little bit of a silly term, but if I were to go and become an entrepreneur today, it would it would never happen. Right now I have two kids, I've got a wife, I've got commitments left and right. So, you know, start as young as you can. There's no better day than today to, to start your next venture. Um, what would be outside of that one book that you mentioned, uh, a resource podcast person that you would recommend somebody go check out? Well, I gotta say, I love what you're doing. Um, I think the, um, <laughs> uh, market, I, I really do. I think the inbound success podcast with Kathy Booth, not, we were talking about this before the show, not every episode is a gem, uh, but maybe every other episode. And there's a lot to glean from that. Yeah. She's done a great job of creating actionable, you know, not just pe having people on that have great SEO, but how did you do it? You know, what did you do? Give me the steps, one, two, three. I, I, I really admire her for that. I think she's done a great job. Um, I also do a lot of the um, Reddit growth, growth hacking gr uh, groups on Reddit. I learn a lot from Reddit. Um, and then AppSumo is a great, I don't know if you know AppSumo, but it's a great resource for it. finding cheap. <laughs> Spend too much yeah. money there. <laughs> I know it's, <laughs> but it's great, you know, um, just to learn yeah, about is. the different types of tools available to get in on them cheap, like really cheap. Um, it's a tremendous tool. Good, good. Um, and last question, what does success truly mean to you? For me, it's about, uh, employee development. Um, when COVID hit, uh, in March of last year, I had a, I, I, there were at least two uh, webinar or Zoom calls I had with my team where I broke into tears. And it was a tough, it was a very tough time. And right after I shut down and we shut down for a couple of weeks, um, one of my, I don't know, it was like, I don't know what caused him to reach out, but one of my employees from my old job from Sell It contacted me on LinkedIn just to tell me how I had changed his life and set him down a career he had no path before and now he was really happy in what he was doing and you know everything like that and it just meant so much to me to play a part in my employees lives and and really set them on career paths like my director of operations the one with the figure it out gene she hasn't even finished college she was coming to me i found her on craigslist uh which is like your kijiji and she um has progressed just tremendously. When she came to me, she was operating two robots that we had store bought. And now she manages a team of 10 people, uh, 15 people, and manages 115 robots, you know, through those mm -hmm. people. So uh, it's really, it's been amazing to watch their, their growth. Um, I have other people that, you know, their job is to, we call it quality assurance, but they take a note and they take an envelope, make sure they're right stuffing it in the envelopes. They're an envelope stuffer and it's a low paying job, but I've had people come into my office saying that I've changed their life financially, taking them out of poverty. Um, mm -hmm. You know, money, if money's your end goal, regardless of entrepreneurship or anything else, the reason I think, and I was talking about this yesterday with uh, my director of ops, or sorry, with my director of finance, the reason I think you see so many um, drug overdoses and that type of thing with celebrities is because, and, and I know this a little bit, not with drugs, but just making bad decisions in my life um, after selling my last company, because you think money is the end goal. And then you get a pile of money that's bigger than anything you ever expected. And you're still not happy, right? Like your life's not any different. Um, and you're like, that leads to depression. It's a weird, you know, I know people are like, oh, poor little rich boy with your big pile of coin, you know, poor little guy. But, you know, don't make, don't make money your target of happiness because when you get, A, you'll never get there because there's always more money you're going to want, that type of thing. 
And B, when you do get to a point that's some threshold, whether it's your first million or your 10th or whatever that is, and you get there, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, you know, same people surrounding me that don't make me happy or, you know, whatever that is, mm -hmm. you're not going to be happy. It's the money does not make you happy. You're going to look around, you're going to think it's just the same crap going on. So you got to figure out what is going to make you happy and do that, whether that's employee development or whatever else. But money in itself, I think, has led a lot of people to depression at the end of the day. That's good. That's good life advice. I didn't expect that to come out. At that. that was a good answer to a question, though. That was a very good answer. Um, I hear that a lot with entrepreneurs because I ask that question to everybody, like what defines success? And it's been uh, a resounding 0% have said money or financial gains. It's been yeah. other things. It's been freedom. It's been uh, spend more time with family, friends. It's been yeah. um, build. You, I've heard this about building businesses, building things. Entrepreneurs have this gene where they just like to build things and they yeah. can exit and they'll just keep trying to build um, new things, right? But no, it's a very good answer. And it's a, it's a good point to always consider because if you grind at something for a very long time, you will probably be successful at it. But just don't let that one thing that you're grinding at ruin the rest of your life. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, okay. just real quick, All right. you know, what happens is, oh, yeah. Did, can I give one quick story? So what happens is, and I know I'm yeah, Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you sell your company, the when you, when you sell your company, somebody else takes it over, they're going to make stupid decisions. They're just not as smart as you. And they're going to run the company in a way that you're going to disagree with. And typically, like I did, I had a two-year earnout where, where I had to sit there and watch them do this for two years. And that's depressing too, because I had spent eight years or seven years building the thing. And then I watched them dismantle it for, you know, it's like kind of like if you're, uh, rebuilding an old Corvette, you know, and you got the thing perfect and mm -hmm. shiny and waxed and all that. And then the person that buys it is your next door neighbor. They park it on their lawn. So you see it every day and they grind at it with a, you know, like a, like a sanding, a sanding wheel or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like causing cringes. So, you know, that's the other thing is when, when you do don't take too much ownership that when you do, when it is time to walk away, you know, separate yourself, just you built it, all your employees are probably going to leave. <laughs> Hopefully they'll go on to better things. Um, you know, so just be happy with what happened and understand that they're probably going to drive that thing into the ground. You know, it's, it was insane mm -hmm. to me what they did. You know, they spent a lot of money on the company and then they drove the thing into the ground. And yeah, it's just, it's just, <laughs> you just can't place that much value in, in something that is monetary. And even if you built it up, like, yeah. it's just, you know, it's part of the game. If you're going to sell it, you're going to cash out. Like, yep. you just have to, I think it's actually probably even more important just to move on. But like, no, like, expect that. Expect these huge emotional uh, things that are going to come your yep. way whenever you have this level of success or whatever in, in your life. And again, it's not meant to diminish the fact that it's not easy to achieve. But if people are going to achieve it at some point, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people don't, but a lot of people do as well um be cognizant of that right um anyways so the only thing that i wanted to, to ask you before we finished is because it's, it's always very important where do people go to connect with you to learn more about handwritten social website your your social whatever sure yeah i mean honestly the best place to go is handwritten.com h-a-n-d-w-r-y-t-t-e-n.com get those samples you know you can always opt out of the emails when they start coming in um you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, David Wax. Just look for David at Handwritten. I'm the only one. Um, Twitter, at Handwritten. Um, I personally don't tweet too much. I'll retweet stuff that Handwritten tweets, but at Handwritten is a great place too. Uh, but we're on all, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all the rest. Very good. Very good. All right. That's all I got. That's, Scott, that's it. Thank you. <laughs>
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. 
Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real, there are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 